Can you believe we're on the last week of our series? It's been quite a ride. If you haven't had a chance to catch every single sermon, well, I was going to go back and do a recap of every single one, but um, Craig keeps telling everyone that I allegedly hold the record for the longest sermon in the series. So let's just say the sermons are available on BethanyCovenant.org if you have any questions, if you're really curious. If you've learned anything in this series, I hope that you've noticed how deeply our geography affects the way that we do things. For some of these churches, it was our proximity to government offices or a particular religious structure. In others, it was being on the road to somewhere. In others, it was being the somewhere that the road ended at. And in other words, in some of them, it was being nowhere. But nowhere is the connection so strong as it is in the last of these seven lampstands, the church in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was an incredibly wealthy city in what is now Turkey on the banks of the Lycus River in the valley between Hierapolis and Colossae. They were known for a wide variety of things. They were a significant banking center specifically for gold. There was a medical school there that was noted for their specialization in optometry, Um, They had developed this eye salve that was called Phrygian ointment that was known for its healing properties. And of course, not to be left out, the farmers of Laodicea had developed this breed of sheep that had this exquisite dark black wool that made some of the softest, most luxurious fabric in the world at that time. And these industries had made Laodicea so wealthy that in the year 17, when an earthquake struck the region, and it was a catastrophic earthquake, this city was the only city in the entire Roman Empire to refuse financial aid. They could take care of themselves. Thank you very much. But what they didn't have was water. I mentioned that they found themselves on the banks of the Lycus River, but at this point in history, it had all but dried up. It certainly could not support a city full of people. But being a city of means has its privileges. And so what they chose to do was to import their water. They piped their water in by aqueduct from elsewhere. To the north was the city of Hierapolis, which was known for its hot, medicinal, mineral-rich springs, which actually you can still visit to this day. And then to the southeast was the city of Colossae, which had ice-cold water from the glacial runoff of Mount Cadmus, which sounds great. But the problem was that nobody had invented insulation yet. So by the time the water from Colossae arrived, it was no longer this glacially ice-cold water. It had become tepid, a room temperature. And even worse, because the hot water from Hierapolis was mineral-rich, it would cool off as it traveled the 11 miles to Laodicea, and so the minerals would settle into the aqueducts and they would clog up the pipes. So if the water arrived at all, it would again be room temperature. And this is why, in the ancient world, Laodicea had become a euphemism for being uncommitted. To be called a Laodicean was more an accusation than anything else. Or as our passage today says, lukewarm. And so here's what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, 
the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious, I will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who hears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So you'll notice right away that there's really nothing good to be said. Jesus skips any pretense here and gets straight to the point. Laodicea, you have everything you could possibly want, but your independence is killing you. You stand for nothing, but instead you follow the temporary fads and fashions and the whims of your culture. Your priorities are a problem, says Jesus. I wish you'd be either hot or cold. Hot like those hot springs from Hierapolis. Healing and soothing and yet at the same time passionate and bold. Full of love and devotion. Or if not hot, then cold like that water from Colossae. Nourishing and life-giving. Full of justice and mercy. But instead you have a lot of money. And so you don't think you need anything from anyone. You don't even think an earthquake has power over you. But you're wrong, says Jesus. This path only leads to wretchedness and to misery. You aren't wealthy in any way that counts. You are spiritually poor. The eye salve has not helped you at all. You are spiritually blind. And those clothes that you're so proud of, they've left you spiritually naked and exposed. Jesus says, this makes me want to spit you out of my mouth like a warm pumpkin spice latte. Or maybe more literally translated, Jesus says, you make me sick. Now we've said this each week, that the letters are divided into three pieces. First, we have a greeting from Jesus in which Jesus names himself. Next, there's an affirmation and correction. Or in the case of one church, there's no correction. And in the case of two churches, there's only correction. And then last, there's a promise to those who follow this teaching. Now, this form of letter actually has a name. And in Greek, it's called the process of pideia, or affirmation, correction, and promise. Pideia was a process of instruction that was created so that the community could pass on its passion and its excellence to the next generation. And so when Jesus says, I correct and I discipline everyone I love, this is not God saying that I have to hurt you now because you're in trouble. This is pideia. It's hard words of instruction intended for a course correction. So that the community that had essentially become a country club could start to live into its intended mission. 
It is for our sake in his love and mercy that Jesus gives us correction and instruction. And so to the Laodiceans, he says, repent, which means turn away. Repent of your indifference. Repent of your self-sufficiency. Because to turn away from those things means to turn toward something else. So what are the three things that he asks them to do? First, instead of depending on their own wealth, Jesus says, buy gold from him that's been purified in the fire. Which makes perfect sense to our Western ears, right? In 1 Peter, we read this. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Our faith is purified and tested by going through hard things, if we have the right perspective. We can grow when we suffer with the right perspective. We can grow when we have to work hard with the right perspective. When we do hard things that we don't like, and I'm not just talking about singing a song that may not be your favorite. But the Laodiceans didn't have to actually do any of these things. The earthquake didn't have anything on them. They could take care of themselves. Money could solve all their problems as far as they were concerned. But then Jesus here peels back this mask of self-sufficiency and comfort to show that they are actually poor, that all of their material possessions had not helped them become any people of true faith. Now, I think we all can struggle with this. Our stuff gets in the way all the time. Now, my wife and I have this saying that we remind each other all the time. It goes something like this. Um, I will say that I want a new phone, and my wife will say, then we'll be happy. (laughs) Oh, if only we had a newer car, then we would be happy. If only we had a new projector, then we'd be happy. I'm just being real here, okay? If only we had a new wardrobe or a new streaming service, because there's more that are needed of those. Or fill in the blank for yourselves. Whatever stuff you are currently pining over on your Amazon wish list as we head towards Christmas. If only I could have the thing, then I will be happy. Right? I mean, that stuff can help us survive, and it can certainly even help us thrive sometimes, but it is so easy for that to take the place of God in our lives, that place of worship and adoration where we put that ahead of all else. But God is the only source of true joy. All else is emptiness and meaningless. After years and years of being the wealthiest person in the world, King Solomon, a king who is in ancient Israel, wrote that all of it was meaningless. All his wealth, all his experiences, all his hard work, all his investments, everything. And yet he's called the wisest person in history. And he says that the best, most meaningful, most helpful thing that a person can do is to strive for worshiping God and keeping his commands. All else is folly. That is the entire book of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. 
So Jesus says to buy gold that's been purified. And then the next two pieces of advice are actually much the same. He says, buy garments of white. Remember that black wool that they had created? Well, Jesus says, you're spiritually naked, like some emperor who got hoodwinked out of clothes that are actually not even there. You're not holy or good, and you're certainly not like Jesus. You're just wealthy. So instead, Jesus says, buy the white garments for someone who is pure, the ones only available from God, because God is the one whose character is pure, noble, merciful, and holy. And we are to seek to be like that, but only God can transform us into that kind of person. Buy the white clothes from God, not the black ones of your own making. And then Jesus says, buy some eye salve because you're blind. You can't even see your spiritual nakedness. You can't even see how poor you are. Because your spiritual eyes have been clouded over by your own self-sufficiency. You don't even know how bad it is, says Jesus. But here, I have a remedy for that. Not that stuff that your doctors make. That might help your sight, but it doesn't help your vision. There is a reason that Jesus says that it is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Our wealth and our self-sufficiency and our upward mobility usually blind us to the things of the kingdom of heaven, the one that God dreams of. And if you don't think that this applies to you because you're not part of that 1% that holds 50% of the world's wealth, you may want to rethink that. Because simply by being an American, you are in the top 50%. And chances are, living in New England, you are one of the top 25 or even the top 10% in the world. This is about us. Jesus' kingdom seems so upside down by our standards. Because those who are meek, those who are poor, those who are persecuted, those who work for peace, the kingdom puts them into the seat of honor. The leaders are made servants. But it is so hard to see that when you are in a place of wealth and privilege. So the common thread of these three things, of the gold they're find in the fire, and the clothes of white, and the eye salve, None of this is something we can get on our own. Which means we need to depend on somewhere else to get it. For the things you need most in life, God says, I am your only source. You must depend on me, Laodicea. You must depend on me, Bethany. Which is why Jesus introduces himself the way that he does in this letter. He begins the letter by introducing himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Or actually, a better translation is the source or ruler of God's new creation. Now, we use that first word all the time, right? Amen is a worship word. We use that all the time here. And literally translated, it means let it be. But not just let it be one time. It means let it be now and forevermore. It's ongoing, which is the same way, by the way, that God introduces himself all the time. 
Thousands of years before this, he introduces himself to Moses. He says, I am the I am. I am sent you, Moses. I always am. I always will am. Grammar's hard with God. A God who is and always was and always will be the creator, the one who is faithful and true, see that, that is a God we can depend on. Now the reference here is actually back in the book of Isaiah, where the prophet writes this, Whoever invokes a blessing on the land will do so by the God of the Amen. Whoever takes an oath on the land will swear by the God of the Amen, for the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth, The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Isaiah goes on to write about this new heavens and this new earth, where God wipes away tears, and he ends suffering, and he brings the wolf and the lamb to eat together. And the God of the Amen wants this sort of reality for God's people now and forevermore. And only God can do this. So this is our reminder That it all starts and it all ends with Jesus. That we are invited into this story because God is. Or really, it's the only reason there's a story at all. God is the source of our reality. He's the source of this kingdom that we've been talking about. He's the one who's in charge. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life which I think is a very appropriate verse today. On All Saints Day, we hear this verse at almost every funeral and memorial service that we attend, right? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And on a day like today, it's a reminder that those who came before us are people who depended on God. They're an example that we can follow too. If you heard those names, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So how are we to overcome? How are we to be victorious? After all, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Now this is something that I found this week, if you can kind of see it. Jesus is standing, knocking at the door with his pumpkin, waiting for Snickers or something. It was funnier on Facebook. (laughs) Jesus wants our attention. But it's not the let Jesus into your heart sort of way that we normally hear it. That's actually not in this text at all. This is actually the master of the household standing, knocking at the door, wondering why it is that the servants who were supposed to be up keeping watch for his return have locked the door and gone to bed. They've forgotten who they are. And so Jesus, who's still knocking, says, if you hear my voice... now. If is not something left to chance. If means, if you hear my voice, it's an invitation to respond. Jesus has come as far as he can. It is now up to us to make the choice to answer the door and surrender the house back to the master. We must, we can, and we must choose to surrender to Jesus, to depend on Jesus, because if we are to overcome, there is no other way. So to the one who overcomes, the one who is victorious, the one who follows this path of Padea, Jesus has two things. First, 
It's a community that brings the kingdom to its fullness. Jesus says that we will sit with him on his throne, just like he sat with his father on his throne. We will rule with Christ as the priesthood of all believers. Now, that's a lot of big words, but what it simply means is this. You who have learned how to live within this kingdom of heaven, you are now given the responsibility of leading that kingdom as a servant and shepherding it into its fullness, into its full, present, always and forever reality by God's Spirit's power. That's the first thing. Now, the, this, the label for the second thing greatly depends on your personality. I personally love the idea of calling it a feast or a banquet, but that's because I'm an introvert who really likes seconds. For those of you who might be an extrovert, a party or a celebration really fits the language as well. They all actually apply for this particular word. To the one who overcomes, Jesus invites us to a feast together, a party like no other, a celebration that all of creation has been fully restored, fully repaired, fully redeemed, fully recreated in all of its fullness and glory. And today we get to anticipate that feast in the midst of the sacrament of Holy Communion. If All Saints Day is the day that we look back on those who came before us as examples of how to depend on God for our eternity, for our forever, then communion is the way that we learn to depend on God for our now, for our present reality. Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus taught us. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Now, I know that these are only uh, little tiny pieces of bread and the little thimble of grape juice. doesn't seem like a huge feast. Just remember that this is a moment for us. This is an anticipation of what's coming. I, I like to think of this heavenly banquet more like what our fellowship and hospitality people put out every week. There's just overflowing tables. Because the Apostle Paul tells us, that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he gave thanks for it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take and drink this and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you take the cup and you take the bread... You will depend on me for your eternity. You will remember me. We remember the resurrection of Jesus until he comes again. We are to depend on God.